Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you love listening to vinyl records but wish you had a better way of storing your collection... Check out Records on Walls. This Canadian company has created a sleek, simple framing design with no glass that allows you to quickly and simply display your records. They're easy to install on any surface. They fit double LPs and gatefolds, and each unit sells for as little as 7 bucks. So if you love your vinyl and want an accessible way of showing it off, check out recordsonwalls.com. Creative Control with Vish you know, if you're not careful sometimes, uh, your podcast might feature your son having a bath. And I don't imagine you can necessarily hear what I'm hearing uh, in my house right now, but he's up there having his bath, and my wife is singing to him, I think, and he's having a good old time. And that's just that's the way it is. When you do a podcast at your house sometimes, your kid ends up having a bath on it, and that's that's just the way life is. How are you doing? Are you doing okay? I, I, is your head spinning at all between the... Between all this he said, she said, between Syria, Russia, and the United States, I'm trying to keep up with all of this, and I, I'm not doing the best job. It's been, I mean, I can't, I, it seems like things are happening, and then they're not happening, and it's good news, it's bad news. I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. And by the time you hear this, President Barack Obama will have made some kind of speech, trying to plead his case to the people. But, I mean, no one wants this. Uh, anyway, this is not the time or place necessarily for this kind of thing, but, uh... It's on my mind. So I am saying it. Anyway, on the show today, uh, Alex Jung Hung Tai, a.k.a. Dirty Beaches. Dirty Beaches playing some shows in and around the area. Uh, not too long ago released uh, a double record, Drifters, Love is the Devil. Drifters slash Love is the Devil. Had a very deep conversation with Alex. I think it's good. Didn't know that much about him going in. Knew, the, knew some of the music. Can you hear my son screaming? You probably can't. He's screaming. It must be a bad bath. Anyway, that's what's on the show. So let's you're going to hear some some music by Dirty Beaches as well and an in-depth interview. So let's let's go to that. And that's it. Here we go. Close to 20 years now, Joel Plaskett has been writing music that's smart enough to keep you listening to songs with meaning waiting to be discovered, while also rocking you into enough of a frenzy, ah, you just want to make a little noise. 
Halifax's favorite son returns to Guelph after a triumphant headlining set at the 2012 Hillside Festival. And he's coming back with his awesome band. Yes, the Joel Plaskett Emergency play the River Run Center on Friday, September 13th as part of the 25th annual Eden Mills Writers Festival. They'll be joined by the fantabulous Jim Guthrie and also Bedini Band, whose Dave Bedini will be doing a reading from his new book, Keon and Me, My Search for the Lost Soul of the Leafs. For tickets and more info about this accessible all-ages concert, please visit the River Run Center box office, riverrun.ca, and edenmillswritersfestival.ca. Jung Hung Tai is a gifted and prolific artist who goes by the name Dirty Beaches. Originally from Taiwan, Hung Tai has spent some time living in Montreal, among other places, and he's earned a reputation for making some of the most challenging, noise-infused, song-based music of the decade. This past May, Dirty Beaches released two complimentary records, the band and lyrically-driven Drifters, and the more solitary instrumental endeavor that is Love is the Devil. Both are available courtesy of Zoo Music, and the current Dirty Beaches tour includes Canadian stops at the Garrison in Toronto on September 11th and Vancouver's Biltmore on September 26th. Uh, here now to discuss this further is Alex Jung Hun Tai. Hey, Alex, how's it going? Where in the world are you? I'm currently in Berlin at the moment. And what are you doing in uh, Berlin? Are you living there? Yeah, I've lived there since December. What brought you to Berlin? Uh, cheap rent and ticket out of Canada. Oh, are you? Do you have an issue with Canada? I, I kind of think of you as some something of a, a nomad. Uh, you, you've lived in a lot of different places, right? Yeah. And, and and but Canada didn't feel like home necessarily. Uh, well, it's not really my home because I just um I'm still a first um, generation immigrant. You know, I wasn't born in Canada, so I don't have the attachments to Canada like second-generation immigrants have, you know? Sure. No, I, I know what you mean there. I mean, was Montreal, was it a particularly great place to live for you? I mean, obviously, you wanted to leave, but uh, did you enjoy your time in that city? Yeah, I mean, for every other, you know, mid-20s, trying to, you know, musicians or artists who are trying to figure this stuff out, I think Montreal is a great place because um, you don't have to work every day. You know, rent is cheap. Mm-hmm. And you can just kind of hone your craft. And, and has living kind of in different places impacted you as an artist, do you, would you say? Yeah, I think whatever influences you as a person will influence the stuff that you make, you know, eventually. Yeah, and I, and I guess uh, there seemed to be a lot of kind of noise-infused music that, that seemed to come out of Montreal in the last few years. Uh, was your community there kind of influential on you and, and your artistic pursuits? Uh, no, not at all, actually, because me and my friends were kind of stuck in the middle. Um, we weren't experimental or noisy enough to be in the noise scene, but uh, but we weren't also in the indie rock or pop scene. We were just kind of in the middle, and none of us were all, you know, none of us were from Montreal, so we just kind of found each other and hung out and played music together. Are the people that you generally play music for also with you in Berlin, or are they still still in Canada or wherever? 
Yeah, my bandmates uh, moved here with me. We all lived together. Oh, wow. That's that's kind of remarkable that everyone felt compelled to do that. What, what You mentioned that it's cheap rent. Was there anything else in particular that drew you to Berlin? Well, you can drink beer in public. You can go anywhere you want. You can smoke anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a train ride away from Eastern Europe. You can go anywhere. It's a uh, 100 euro easy jet flight to you know Western Europe, to Paris or London or wherever you want to go. So it's pretty central. Okay. No, I, I've never been. I've never been to Berlin. I, I'm calling you from uh, from Guelph, Ontario, where I live. And I, I, as I recall, you've actually played at least once in this city. Yeah, I've played in Guelph. So just kind of imagine you can get on a bus and instead of going to Toronto, you can go to Warsaw. Right. <laughs> it's kind so of that's the, the advantage. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's great. Uh, I mentioned in the intro that you uh, released a basically a double record. There's two records that are complementary. Can you maybe discuss that? Why did you feel uh, the need to to release both of these things uh, at the same time, even though they are, uh, you know, distinguishable? I think they're very complementary to each other because they were conceived and written at the same around the same time. Um, I don't. I think. For me personally and artistically and financially, it was a risk because I'm presenting something aside that's not very marketable. But I, I do feel very compelled to do so because if I want to advance, move forward in my career, I have to do something that I want to do, not because I have to do. Um, so I think a lot of bands kind of get trapped in this phase where they are influenced by exterior motives, you know, making records and thinking about, because all of a sudden now you have something to lose. You have somewhat of a career ahead of you. And a lot of things come into mind and none of us, you know, no one wants to fucking go back and wash dishes or whatever minimum wage job we had before. Yeah. So, you know, all that influences what kind of music you're going to make later on. So this was an attempt to kind of, you know, to be free and, and take risks and, you know, to just kind of appreciate the opportunity that, that people like us have now, you know, that we've, after we've gained exposure and just not play by the rules and just kind of do what you want to do and then see how it goes from there and learn from it, you know. You, you kind of acknowledge that the music you're making isn't easily marketable and it might be uh, tougher for people to process, yet you find... Just some, some sides of it some sides of it and and why what uh, can you i mean i know this is probably something within you that you might be it might be difficult to articulate but what drives you to push music this way push yourself rather with the music you're making i mean if it's all about the pursuit of the craft in the end you know it's like you're learning every day until you don't want to play music anymore so I think it's it's more interesting for me to just venture into territories that's not familiar or make music um, in ways that's not familiar for me. Like, for example, making the record in Canada would be a lot easier because I would be in an environment where, you know, I have access to a recording space or a jam space, you know, because we had a scene in Montreal. Everything was a lot easier. But instead, I left and went to Berlin when, you know, with a half-finished record, not knowing if I'll be able to complete it and kind of just absorbed 
you know, the city and the travel from the past two years and kind of just let it sit down and be removed from all my comfort zone and the kind of equipment I usually use. You know, I had to borrow a lot of equipment to finish this record. Um, but I think the outcome is interesting that way. Um, I took a chance and had no idea what was going to come out of it. And now I'm still kind of looking at it, trying to understand, you know, scratching my head, trying to understand what I made this past winter. So there's a, a, a there's a, a big thrill in the risk for you as an artist. I think at the time it's like, it's so frightening that I don't think it's much of a thrill. It's actually just stress, um, just trying to make ends meet and trying to finish the record. Huh. Right. Okay. It's only in hindsight that, you know, it's like, I'm glad I did that because I grew a lot from that. You know, you, you kind of just like, I don't know if you ever left Guelph, but it's kind of like you don't know what it's going to be like until you leave. Mm-hmm. And then when you leave and then you're like, oh, yeah, I, could, I, I, can do, I can do that. I can just fucking leave and then find a new job in a new city, find a new apartment, learn a new language. It wasn't that hard. But during the process of applying for visas, trying to find a job, trying to find an apartment, that fucking sucks. You know, it's yeah, like it's so. very fucking scary. And you don't know what's going to happen. But once you live through that, you become stronger and you kind of know your pain threshold or, you know, what kind of abuse you can take and tolerate and grow from that. Right. Most artists are on a trajectory with their practice and yours seems kind of complex. And I mean, in terms of the sound itself, it's, 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 I think it's sort of timeless. Can you maybe talk a little bit about how you see your process from, from when you began? Because my understanding is you, you were kind of in like a metal band when you were in your early 20s, right? Yeah. And from that, uh, what what drew you to metal, first of all? Uh, that was the first band I was ever in. And be- prior to that, I don't have much exposure to Western music. I was just mostly, I went pretty much from listening to Chinese pop music to, you know, listening to Janet Jackson as a kid. And then later on, just basically listening to whatever my friends were listening to, which was like in, in 1995, 96, like hip hop was really popular. So all my friends were listening to Wu-Tang, you know, and Biggie Smalls. And I started listening to that, just kind of, start, you know, starting to absorb uh, American culture. You know, when I was growing up in Hawaii, which is another weird, you know, <laughs> parallel universe to American culture, because it's not really part of America, even though it is, mm-hmm. um, you know, just just kind of like trying to fit in. And then slowly got exposed to, you know, rock and roll music or whatever that meant in 1999. And yeah, you know, after after the first metal band, you know, like my roommates were also listening to a lot of weird noise stuff too. So after the metal band, I was in a noise band and it kind of just went from there. You know, there wasn't a lot of planning per se. It was just kind of like what happens when teenagers listen to music. Right. You mentioned that at some point you were, at various points, you were trying to fit in wherever you were and, and what it was whatever peer group you were in. And, and at some level, I feel like the musical direction you've taken most recently isn't necessarily about fitting in. It's about maybe fighting against that urge to fit in necessarily and maybe carve out your own place. Is that is that fair? Yeah, totally. I think after turning 32, I I kind of went back to high school mode in a way. Um, like I stopped judging music from a 
you know, critical perspective. It was just more like, you know, like I got into electronic music, going to raves in Berlin, which is something that I hated when I was a teenager, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but that kind of um, bizarre, self-righteous criticism comes from not knowing the genre. It's, it comes from like the fear or the disdain and dislike of something that we're not familiar with. And I finally kind of bust open that that weird loop cycle where, you know, we often find ourselves disliking things because, like food, for example, you know, like you eat something, you're like, uh, I don't really like this restaurant because I don't know anything. I don't, I've never had this before. This, this taste is weird. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't I have no reference point to like how to digest this kind of food. And it's the same thing with music. It's like, you listen to something and the reason why like I don't like electronic music when I was a kid was because I don't know anything about it or just the simple um, disdain for like uh, straight associations, you know, like I didn't want to be associated with like people popping pills or people wearing like those baggy waiver pants and sucking on a pacifier, you know. <laughs> well, I don't know why you wouldn't want to be involved with that. That sounds... But that's like a very shallow... Like generalization, you know, like I know nothing about the culture. Do you know what I mean? Sure, sure. And I think sometimes when you're unfamiliar with something, it's it's far easier to not only dismiss it, but kind of deride it because you just, I mean, I mean, this goes back to kind of a fundamental human practice where anything different from your surroundings is kind of alienated and and not accepted. Totally. So I think this record, in in essence, is kind of just embracing everything that I lived through in the past, you know, from listening to hip hop, programming, drum, drum machines, making beats to like liking weird no wave bands to like listening to raves, you know, in 2013 in Berlin, you know, it's kind of a consolidation of everything that I enjoy and discovered and without thinking too much about trying to fit in or like making someone I don't know, trying to please some people or something, you know, it's just making a record without thinking that much. Kind of just like when you first pick up a guitar and the first thing that comes out, that's how it is. And it's really liberating. Are you, are you surprised by the extent to which your music has been embraced, been embraced given, you know, your approach to it and, and your mentality towards it, which is kind of not only to challenge yourself, but uh, your audience? I don't think the music I'm making is that challenging. You know, I don't think it's that hard to listen to. Because um, personally, I like to listen to things that aren't too discordant. So there's often a lot of melodies involved. Um, but yeah, I, I do find it surprising because for the past seven years, you know, I've been working minimum wage jobs in Montreal and put out copious amounts of EPs and. CDRs and seven inches, which no one really paid attention to. So I just feel really lucky. And, and because of, you know, this past, you know, all of this past effort to make music and put it out there and to be greeted with like, I don't know, like five CDR sales per year <laughs> or, or play to the basement of like, 10 people, you know, like in Guelph or like my first Guelph show was like 10 people there, I think. It was in an attic. 
No, that was the second time. I oh, think. okay, okay, sorry. Yeah, I the can't... first one. Oh wait, 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 no, no, no. I played at a, I played at a bar during Frosh Week. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> that was my first golf show. Yeah. Your first live show ever was in Guelph. No, no, no. My first Guelph show. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. You, you cut yeah. out there. You cut out there. Okay. Your first Guelph show was Frosh Week in a bar. Frosh Week, and then there was, yeah, basically no one listening to the music, just a bunch of drunk college kids and. And they're so loud that they're like eclipsing over uh, the music I was playing. It was kind of funny because it sounded like some weird experimental <laughs> like sound collage. It's just like my music going on in the background while people are like, fuck yeah, dude. Whoa, give me that fucking beer, man. Yeah, I got the next round, bro. <laughs> so what, what do you suppose or when do you suppose things sort of turned a corner for you and your work in terms of it being... Uh, embraced more by a general, a more general population. Um, I I have no idea to be honest. I think I just got really lucky, but behind luck, there was also a lot of like persistent hard work. For example, prior to the success of my last album, um, I had already been doing DIY tours in the U.S. probably like three or four times. You know cross-country, um, each time leading to more people uh, coming to the shows and, like, just kind of establishing contacts with, like, the underground tape scene in the U.S. that was happening a few years back. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, all that kind of just kept building. And then when Badlands, the last record, came out, um, I just got lucky. And then, But all the contacts that I had built, prior to that also like everyone was really happy for me everyone was like you know had open arms and were just like dude yeah remember that show you played in detroit you played to like fucking three people everyone was fucked up remember that you know it's like look at you now man fuck you're playing to like 200 people that's fucking cool man and it's cool it's cool to like establish that kind of recognition with your friends where everyone was kind of in the same you know shithole and someone gets a chance to go up and everyone is like kind of just holding your feet, just kind of like trying to give you a boost, you know, like, go on, man, like, get out of here, get out of this fucking shithole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, people were encouraging you. Yeah, so it felt great, you know. It wasn't just like I got lucky and I'm like 19, didn't know what to do, how to handle the pressure. It was like I spent seven years trying to get to where I am now and I knew all the fucking ups and downs and you know the sweet and the sour and so yeah i'm a lot more appreciative instead of just being you know like a jaded young 20 year old just be like yeah whatever <laughs> <laughs> well when i've spent time with drifters and love is the devil i i picked up on a, a kind of suicide vibe not the actual practice i mean i'm referring to the band suicide and i believe that you've expressed some affection for them and may have even uh, covered them at some point in your life. Um, and your last record was called Badlands, which is, for me, conjures Bruce Springsteen. He has a connection to suicide. My long-winded question, I suppose, Alex, is do you have any connection to suicide and Bruce Springsteen? Yeah, totally. I think the, the name Badlands came from the Bruce Springsteen song. Um, I really admire suicide and like how ballsy they were for their time. And they kind of paved the road for just weirdos like us who are doing 
things that's not considered proper, you know? Yeah, I saw Springsteen do a solo tour several years ago now. It might have been a decade ago or something, and he actually was covering a suicide song live. The dream yeah, he did a uh, dream baby dream. I think that's right. So you 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 followed that. You're you're are you something of a Springsteen fan? Uh, not as much as I like Suicide, um, but I do like Nebraska and some of the, like the softer stuff. You know, less uh, uh, fist pumping anthems. Well, speaking of which, Badlands, <laughs> Badlands from Darkness on the Edge of Town is it's a it's a fairly dark song but and it if you actually spend time with the lyrical imagery it's actually extremely haunting however uh, in a concert it's the ultimate fist pumping song yeah for Bruce Springsteen yeah totally yeah and i just am curious by that that's interesting to me because the music you're making uh, uh from what i can tell is not of that vein yet at the same time it does have this inherent energy to it i mean do, ultimately what is the best reaction you could get when you start playing a show i mean people i imagine are, are watching you but do you do, do, do the crowds ever get frenetic while at a, at a dirty beaches show yeah i mean at this point we've played so many different places like like in st petersburg i saw a kid in russia you know like almost like crying uh, i've never experienced that before it made me want to cry too it was so emotional hmm. um he later on told me after the gig, like, you know, he went through a breakup with his girlfriend in broken English and he felt like he could really relate to the new album and which I really appreciate, you know, it's like he didn't feel like he was alone. Yeah. And, the, you mentioned that this, these two releases, uh, the new records are a consolidation of lots of sonic aspects of your life, but can you talk a little bit about what they are conveying for you emotionally? Because, uh, they are heavy. Uh, my take on it, from what I can decipher, is that there's a, a really heavy tone here. Yeah, I think, you know, when you try to package something that's real and sell it, um, it's it's quite hard, you know? It's like hard. It's hard for the person who made it, and it's hard for the audience to take it because they don't really know how to hold something that's real and like, okay, I guess I just spent, you know, 20 bucks buying this L double LP, but it's pretty heavy. It's like pretty personal. And it's the same thing for the person who made it. It's like, yeah, I just sold this and I made 20 bucks off of it. Um, yeah, this is my, you know, blood, sweat and tears all packaged up for you. <laughs> There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 
Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like I developed this um, work habit where I try to separate the creation aspect and then after I finish what I think is like worthwhile to share with the, you know, with other people, um, then I can switch, I can turn into a businessman after that and try to package it and sell it. But I don't let it get involved into the music making part because I think that would be the ultimate destruction of, uh, it would be the end of me, I think. Sorry, the actual kind. Of, sorry, you're saying you, you basically you're saying you, you keep the business aspect of your creative life. You, you keep those two things separate. Yeah, totally. I think most bands have the problem of playing the businessman role, like playing the suit. Like most bands are just like, "Fuck that, man. We're just like rock and roll, doing what we do, man. Fuck selling out." But what they don't understand is it's like they're pretty much like shooting themselves in the foot and like not taking the opportunities. Whereas instead of going as far as, you know, like rap culture where you just completely like bling out and just be like, yeah, fuck the struggle. I've made it. It's more just like I kept one foot, you know, in where I come from and I make, I still make music the way I used to. Uh, I challenge myself, put myself in these different uncomfortable situations and trying to grow as a person live life with engagement, you know, with appreciation and learn from all this and make music. And then I can turn around and put on a suit and smile and be like, hey, this is my new album. Check it out. Right. Like, that that makes sense to me. But the, the one thing I'm curious about is that, you know, you've cited hip hop as a huge influence. We talked a little bit about Bruce Springsteen, um, both uh, really lyrically driven entities, uh, do you think that more attention is paid to your sort of sonic exploration than your what you're trying to convey lyrically? I don't think, like, the influence I got from hip-hop was more just kind of like a psychological kind of boost. It's like, it doesn't... I think that's why hip-hop is so popular and contagious, like, worldwide. If you see how far as, you know, how far it's gone like on a worldwide scale scale it's like there's polish rappers there's like chinese rappers you know there's there's hip-hop everywhere and it's kind of people just um they're attracted to this idea of um doesn't matter if you come from the ghetto or the slums you can you know you can be triumphant and rise above and and succeed you know it's like the ultimate american dream Right, but, but there's a focal there's a focus on the on the on the MC on the rapper potentially more in some cases than the producer than the DJ, um, and I think that's that's sort of telling. Like we relate to songs because of lyrics, whether we want to admit it or not. Some people would deny that, but I think you know some people are like, oh, a good song is a good song. I don't even care what they're saying. But other people are are really they they like a song with a great sentiment and. Your songs to me, when I listen to them, I don't know that I'm necessarily... I'm picking up on some kind of emotional wavelength. It seems dark to me. Um, I know that there's sentiment within it. What do you think you're conveying throughout... Let's let's go with these records. What do you think you're conveying uh, with uh, with these records in terms of what you're trying to to say? I think I'm just trying to convey something very simple, like 
fundamental level. Um, over the past two years, I've been trying to slowly kind of remove myself from the reliance on aesthetics. Um, I mean, I'm still in the process of doing that. I'm, I don't think it's entirely possible to be free from influence or aesthetics or to borrow aesthetics that's been proven, you know, that's successfully cool or, you know, um, I think, for example, like me moving to Berlin and then not understanding the aesthetics of electronic music and rave culture and to be able to appreciate it was like a breakthrough for me in, in my you know, in my personal life, it's kind of like I finally understood uh, why people connect to music, even if they don't understand it. It's because it's relatable on a human level. You know, it has nothing to do with taste. It has nothing to do with um, your knowledge of it. It's kind of just like this very fundamental heartbeat, you know, 4-4. And when you're fucking high, you kind of just like don't really know what's going on anyway. But I think um, slowly I, I'm trying to venture towards this area where it's not about creating some kind of musical niche for yourself to fit in. And, and like, for example, you asked me what I expect from the audience and what's a great show. It's like, I don't really expect anything from the audience because I think they're smarter than we think, you know, and I don't, I don't want people to be standing there, like whether they're fist pumping, mosh pitting, like, or arms crossed to like, you know, become like analyzing every little detail, like, like, Hmm, the drummer was a little bit off or, you know, it's kind of just like, I want people to be, to be able to relate to my music on a very simple, fundamental level, whether they understand where I'm coming from or not. And if, I think if I can do that, I've succeeded. Okay. That's fair. That's totally fair. Is there, is there music or an artist that, that both challenges and inspires you at the same time? Like, is there somebody that you look to uh, that has accomplished what you just discussed, you know, your aspirations are? Like, I mean, I, I'm just curious if there's someone that has fulfilled that role for you that you're like, wow, I mean, that is a, that's, a, that's a place I want to be. Uh, contemporarily, I don't know. Actually, I haven't really paid that much attention. I didn't have that much time to be like um, searching for new music to listen to. Hmm. But um, but I feel like every artist that's kind of successful in some way without playing the mainstream game um, have done it. You know, just kind of like create their own world, and they've eventually moved on from the genres or artists they've borrowed heavily from, you know, like, I don't know. I, I guess like someone or even filmmakers, you know, like, uh, like I think Nick Cave, Tom Waits, Jim Jarmusch, David Lynch all have, they all kind of fall in this category where I, I feel like in their early works, you can tell, um, there's something special about them, but yet they still rely heavily from, past references mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but then as their careers develop they kind of morph into their own thing like 
what they've borrowed and what they've stole kind of just turn into their own and they've they've kind of just created their own genres and like moved beyond their initial influences and i think i mean that's just an uh, example i think you know because i think all those four artists have like incredible career and they're still continuing you know I, th- I feel like a lot. I feel like the majority of artists want to create something singular. Uh, you know, I think that's the goal. Uh, even if it's an unspoken goal, um, there seem to be some that are happy. You know, falling into traditions. You seem very much uh, someone who is not into uh, tradition necessarily. Is that? Would you say that's fair? Yeah, because Dirty Beaches is not really a band. You know, it's like I, I like to. Um, introduce different elements of it in the future and make it into like more of a band, you know, introduce my bandmates more and have them like be more upfront in the public, you know, instead of just like helping me in in the shadows. Hmm. It's like, I want my brothers to be, you know, upfront and like be part of the band, you know, personality and stuff like that. But ultimately we're like, we're not a band like the Rolling Stones per se. We're not interested in the lifestyle we're not interested in keeping, you know, the image, living the life, you know, it's like, we don't have a sound to follow up to, you know, we're like, I've done, I've done it, um, over and over again throughout the entire, uh, lifespan of 30 beaches, even before anyone paid any attention. It's just like, I make something, and then I move on and I destroy completely what I made before. Like I completely disregard the last record and I just want to make whatever I want to make. Even when there was no one listening, I did that, you know, mm-hmm. when I made four EPs in a row or like two LPs and like followed up with a bunch of CDRs and they're all like very different. And my friends were like, whoa, this is really weird. You're taking all these different directions. And it's kind of cool at the same time. It's just like you don't really want to build up a following. Like, you're not following the correct um, strategies, you know, or per se. And it's like, I find it really boring to do the same thing over and over again. Yeah, I, I, I think for fans, sometimes we appreciate consistency from an artist uh, in terms of, you know, like we don't, some in some cases, we don't like left turns because on some level, consistency kind of has come to connote Proficiency, meaning, uh, you know, a band will play well or an artist will play very well uh, doing one particular thing. And then when they veer off from that, if they veer off from that, um, there's maybe an assumption that, well, they just can't pull it off. It's like the equivalent of a great sounding record and then the band can't quite pull it off live um, uh-huh. or, or something. You know, there's this sort of perception that, uh, you know, that maybe that it's it's. We we kind of as I was saying we appreciate the consistency uh, because we want to appreciate the skill. So when when we see artists that are constantly changing, there is maybe and I'm not saying this about you, but there is maybe a perception like well maybe they just can't pull it off again. You know what I mean? Like maybe they need to reinvent themselves every time because they don't necessarily know what they want to be doing. Well, yes and no. I think it's like even if they could pull it off, like it will never live up to the expectations of 
what people imagine it to be. Do you know what I mean? If they're going for the same thing. Yeah. For like the prime, the best example is the Strokes. You take a band, you know, that's, that was as popular and as handsome and as good looking and talented as they were. And they've completely failed in that direction. Do you, do you know what I mean? Failed in which direction? It's like they've made a great record and then they made a pretty good second record and they couldn't follow it up because people expect them to never change and they got really fed up. Yeah, there was this sort of sense, not that they sounded like it, but they kind of had this New York sound, uh, a sound that people kind of could relate to and then they kind of wanted to evolve from that sound and people weren't as stoked about the strokes um, because of that. And... I mean, yeah, and I pro- think it's, it's pro- very unfair yeah. to the band, you know? Yeah, I think there's probably other examples of, and I can't cite them at the moment, but I'm sure there's examples of an artist who makes a certain kind of great music, takes a huge turn, and is still able to make another great kind of music because their audience is willing to go for the ride. Yeah, exactly. It sounds to me like you have a slightly, and I might be projecting this on you, but you, it sounds like you may have a slightly complicated relationship with your audience, with your public, with the with sort of the public reception of your work? Not really, because I I don't like I don't think of my audience as like dumb people, you know, like most bands do. Like I actually have a lot of respect for people who listen to my music and and I wanna develop this kind of relationship with them where it's like we all grow you know, like from graduating from college to like entering society to like finding a new job or relocating, getting a new job or getting married or having kids. It's like every period in your life, you're going through something different. And the band that you liked in college, you might not be able to follow or appreciate it when you have kids and have like two jobs. Yeah. And it's like what I'm looking for are like-minded people who are living life with engagement and doesn't matter where they are in their period in their life. They can kind of find me and they kind of just be like, oh, this is what Alex is doing now. And they could either relate to it or not relate to it, you know? Mm-hmm. We've spoken quite a bit about your sort of aspirations beyond this this record and, and maybe this touring cycle. Um, is there anything kind of tangible you can tell us about um, what you're up to uh, uh, beyond the upcoming tour dates, uh, have you begun work or a uh, thought process about a, a new release or anything like that? Yeah, I think for next year it's more um, getting prepared for more film scores, uh, doing more projects like that. Uh, a bunch of seven inches and EPs and splits with like old friends and stuff like that. Just pretty much the same, the same thing I always do. Like put out a record and then put out a bunch of small releases because after like a full length, I always want to try different things, you know? Yeah, no, totally. Are there any particular specific collaborations that you're excited about? Um, I'll, I'll save it until the time is right and then we'll drop it on you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I have to ask, of course, I'm just curious and, but it sounds like there's, it sounds like you're as prolific as always. It sounds like there's a lot going on. Yeah, it's it's fun to always be busy and just like 
keep learning new things, you know? Yeah. Well, again, uh, the new Dirty Beaches double record is called Drifters, Love is the Devil, and it's available now via Zoo Records, uh, the band's extensive North American tour, the band, if you will. <laughs> uh, the extensive North American tour b- brings them to the Garrison in Toronto on September 11th and Vancouver's Biltmore on September 26th. You can learn more about them at dirtybeaches.bandcamp.com. Uh, Alex, if we were to go to a song right now by Dirty Beaches, which, uh, which one would you like us to play? Um, could you play Berlin on Love is the Devil? Sure. Why did that come to mind? Just because you're in Berlin? Why did that come to mind? Um, I've been listening to it a lot lately because I've been trying to take it apart and think of ways to play it differently live. I'm quite attached to it. Okay. That's, that's fair. Well, this is it. This is Berlin by Dirty Beaches. Uh, Alex, a, a great, great pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me, man.
Hey, thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at vishcreative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at CFRU.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.